It is an honor to be with you. What a great crowd. I, I know of nowhere I'd rather be on a Sunday night than right here with you. What an honor it is to sing together, to worship our God together. And I know you're people who love the Lord, and I just feel so very blessed to be here. And I'm going to talk to you tonight about something that we rarely talk about from the pulpit in Churches of Christ but that every church of Christ is a part of. And there's a reason we don't talk about it. I'm going to talk to you about, about preaching and about preachers. And, and we don't talk about it because the guy that's usually standing in front of you talking is a preacher and usually is a preacher that preaches at that congregation and it could appear to be self-serving if he talks too much about what he does. There are those who say that that, that, that preaching is kind of passe, that it's past, that its day is gone, that it's been done, that we do better now with different forms of communication, that we do better if we use puppets to talk to people or, or drama or skits. Or There are those who say we need to sing more and, and preach less. And Preaching seems to be something that there are people, and I'll be honest with you, in my 40 plus years, nearly 45 years now of preaching, I've found there have always been people who thought preaching was secondary to everything else that you do. Yet the reality is that to, and it happens every in every Christian church, every week around the globe. Somebody stands up at some point and talks for a while, and they are the preacher that day. And it's been going on for 2,000 years. And God holds a high view of preaching. In fact, the text says, the preacher's verse in 2 Timothy chapter 4, to preach the word. We're under an obligation to do this thing that every church does. And so somewhere today in 10 to 12,000 churches of Christ in the United States and 30 to 50,000 churches of Christ around the world, somebody stood up and they talked to those people about God from God's Word and some did a great job and some did an awesome job and some did an okay job and some did an average job and some did an, awesome, did, did an awful job to keep, keep all the A's going along. And, and regardless of whether they were good or bad, they got to lunch that day and somebody asked somebody in that church, how was the preaching today? We talk about it a lot, but we don't talk about it a lot when we are together. But the Bible talks about it a lot. The verse already been read to us. How shall they hear unless someone preaches to them? And then Jesus' last words go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, to all of creation, the text indicates. And Matthew chapter 10, in that limited commission, as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that my preaching was not with excellency of speech, not with enticing words. And Jesus says in Luke chapter 4 when there were people who were trying to get him to stay at a specific place and to just be with those people, he said, I must go and preach the gospel, the good news, the kingdom of God to other cities because Jesus says that is why I was sent. And then Ephesians chapter 2, verses 17 through 18 says, Christ came and preached peace to you who were far off, far away from God, and those who were near to God. Preaching is a part of the plan of God over and over again. In the New Testament church, 
The church had gotten stagnant. They had stayed in Jerusalem. They would not done what God had told them to do. They would not fulfilled what Jesus told them to do in Acts chapter 1 to begin in Jerusalem and go to Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. They just stayed in Jerusalem and there's a persecution that arises. And then it says that those who were scattered as a result of the persecution over Stephen's life went everywhere preaching the word. And Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch where they and many others were taught and preached the word of the Lord. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to many, but those who are called the wisdom of God. And then the text will say, we preach Jesus. And again, the verse from Romans chapter 14 or chapter 10 that's already been read to us. But you're at an unusual time in the life of the Highland Heights Church of Christ. You're at a very unusual time. You have been blessed. Tonight will be a little awkward. I preach this sermon a few times every year to churches. This is the first time that I've ever preached it with a guy that I'm going to talk about for a minute is actually sitting in the audience. So uh, close your ears for a minute, Brother Keith. We, we, don't, we don't want to embarrass you too much. But you've been blessed. You've been blessed with a man who loves the Lord, uh, who loves his family, who is a good example before you, who preaches the word of God faithfully and with passion and conviction. And if anything that I said is not true, don't tell me. I don't want to know it. Everything I know about this brother is good. He is a blessing. And there are those of you who are angry at him right now. I left a church I've been preaching at for 10 years. I left there to move to another church, and a member came to me, one of the deacons came to me, and he said, I'm mad at you. And I said, why? He said, because you get to leave and I have to stay here. <clears throat> I hope that's not the case of anybody here, but some of you probably aren't happy about this. But I want you to be happy about it. Whether you have a preacher for five years or 50 years, if he stood before you and taught you and nourished you and helped you grow in the Lord Praise God for it. You have been blessed. But you're now at an unusual time. And a time that I hope will never become a regular time for you. I hope you don't have to go through looking for a new preacher real often. I meet with elders every week. I met with an eldership earlier today. I met with your elders. Tomorrow I'll meet with an eldership in Memphis. I meet with elders all the time and talk to them about this, this process and most elderships in the process, I will tell them, this preacher that you're hiring now will probably be the only preacher that this specific eldership ever hires. And I hope that's the case for you. I hope this does not become a regular time for you. But I want you to notice, I want to talk to you tonight a little bit about what is the measure of a preacher. We, we threw a lot of verses, quoted a lot of verses to you about preaching. But what is the measure of a preacher? How do you measure a preacher? If I handed everybody tonight in this audience, from the youngest person here that can write to the oldest person here, and had you write down what is the measure of a preacher, I would get a couple of hundred different answers. How do you measure a preacher? Well, there are different ways of measuring I've been measured different ways. Some people measure a preacher by if, if he's a hugger or not. Keith, are you a hugger? Are you a hugger? Somewhat? I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm anti-hugging. I'm a recovering non-hugger. 
But some people measure preacher. Oh, you know, he just hugs everybody. He just loves everybody. Whether I hug you or not doesn't mean I love you or not. I just may not like the way you smell. <laughs> I don't mean that. My job's to make everybody angry. Now, some people measure him by if he loves dogs or not. I don't understand that one. Uh, I, don't, I don't like dogs. <clears throat> uh, Brother Gus Nichols died, and his son Flavel wrote an article about him. And in the article, he said, I never saw my dad be mean to any person or any animal. He loved everybody and everything. And my wife took that statement and blew it up and highlighted it and hung it on our wall. How dare her? I don't love your dog, and you don't, it, it doesn't love you. And I know you're going to come to me after I made some enemies. You're going to come out. My dog loves me. Don't feed Bosco for about three weeks. We'll see how much he loves you, okay? He'll eat your hand off for food, all right? So, you know, they measure, some people measure the preacher by how he feels about dogs. Some people measure the preacher by if he has good hair or not. There are people that measure their preacher. Though. There are people that measure their preacher. Uh, I, I one time baptized a couple, an older couple, a really sweet couple, and moved in our community, and I studied with them. They were both baptized. I went to see Jack and Joanne. I sat down with Jack and Joanne one day in their house a few weeks after I baptized them, and Joanne said to me, she said, you know, you would, you're, you're a really good preacher. I think you'd be the best preacher I know, but you just don't wear long-sleeve white shirts all the time. I don't remember reading that in the text, but that's how she measured a preacher. Some people measure it by the length of his sermons. You preach long sermons, Keith? Do we want to take a vote on that? He said no. My, my record was 88 minutes, so there is a chance I'll beat that record tonight, and you'll get to be a part of it. And you'll all be so happy you got to know. <laughs> Somebody measured by the design of his sermons. Is he a three-point guy? Does he have five points? Does he, does he, does he, do the points all begin with the same letter? Do they all come from one text They're by the design of a sermon? Again, different people. Some people measure a preacher by his humor or his seriousness. I had a good friend. I preached his funeral, his wife's funeral. I preached every wedding of every one of his daughters. Had five daughters, dear friends. But Brother D.N. did not believe you should ever use any humor in the pulpit. And I tried to show him some of the humor that Jesus used, and he said, I don't see that as funny. Well, okay. So, but we loved each other, but he measured a preacher by whether he used any humor or not. Some people measure a preacher by how personable he is. Do you know that over 50% of preachers in Church of Christ today are introverts and not extroverts? Most people think every preacher is an extrovert. Not every preacher is. That is not the measure of a preacher. There are different ways that different people measure a preacher. We could come up with a couple of hundred more standards if we so desired tonight. What I want you to know tonight is a new guy is coming. A new guy is coming, and he will be different. He'll be different. He won't be just like the, the previous preacher. He won't, he won't do things the same way. He won't say things the same way. He won't, he won't look the same way. He, won't, he will not act the same way. He's going to be different. Just get ready. I mean, you, you know the old story, you know, about the, the guy who's, who was out golfing with his wife one day and and uh, you, you heard the story, hadn't you? Know, said, uh, you know, if I die, would you remarry? He said, no, I would not remarry. I, don't, 
Well, I want you to remarry. Would you, would you marry, if, you, if I died, would you marry a woman younger or older? I'm, I'm not going to comment on that. I wouldn't remarry. Would you, would, 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 would you give her my car if I died and you remarried? No, I'm not going to talk about it. Would, would, would you let her use my golf clubs? He said, no, she's left-handed. Uh, he's going to be different. He'll do things differently. He'll have different strengths than previous preachers had. He'll have weaknesses that the previous preacher didn't have. He'll be different. Our text is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, or chapter 1, beginning at verse 10, where Paul's dealing with a, a, a challenge that many churches deal with. He said, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be, be united in one Spirit, one mind, the same judgment. For, he says, it's reported to me by Chloe's people. I like that phrase, Chloe's people. My mom used to talk about my people. By Chloe's people, that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Paulus, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Some of you are concerned about the future. And I want to assure you, number one, that it'll be okay. It'll be okay. The church is going to be fine. The church is never bigger than any one person. The church belongs to the Lord. And as long as a person preaches the gospel, the church will be fine. Every preacher I know, we are all very human. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know what mistakes preachers have made in the past here, but we're human. And we try week after week to take the ancient Word of God and apply it to the modern life of the hearer. We want them to take that Word that God inspired and apply it to what they do Monday through Friday and Sunday and Saturday. We want them to apply it to their life. And we make great efforts to do that. I, and, and there are texts that are harder than others. I mean, um, you know, Mother's Day is hard. You, know, you can come up with one or two good Mother's Day sermons and try to come up with 50 good Mother's Day sermons. It's challenging to come up with a good Mother's Day sermon every year. Uh, series like the Fruit of the Spirit. If you're going to talk to Christians, at some point you should talk to them about the Fruit of the Spirit. But how do you talk to them when some of you sitting in this audience have been Christians for 50 or 60 or more years? And you've heard sermon after sermon. I, I was preaching a series on the fruit of the Spirit at a place I preached one year. And I didn't really like the series. It started this Sunday. I didn't like it. And I was trying to think, what can I do that would really make an impression on people that they might remember this and it might wake them up for just a minute on a subject they heard over again. So I passed by Kroger and I pulled in and I bought a, two big clusters of grapes. And while I preached, every once in a while I'd peel a grape off and I'd throw it at somebody. They never forgot that sermon. Not in a good way. <laughs> but they never forgot it. Jerry Elder was a youth and family minister at... at, at uh, West 7th in Columbia, Tennessee, and they were having a big area-wide youth event, and he sent out a message to all the churches and 
in the message he said, homeless people need socks. And we're getting everybody together for this, this Sunday night event. The young people are all there. We invite every group to bring 10 pairs of socks. We're going to try to take 300 pairs of socks to the homeless people. And I got that message on a, on a Friday. And I thought, you know, we've got over 500 people at the church at Spring Meadows. I can take care of this in one Sunday. And so that Sunday, after we passed the collection plates, I had the guys that took up the plates pass them a second time, and I invited everybody to take their socks off and put them in the plate. You know what? They never forgot that. Not all in a good way. <laughs> We're human. We do dumb things sometimes. But I know many of God's men, and I know them to be good men. Worst case scenario is what happens, Paul talks about it in Philippians chapter 1, <coughs> verse 15 and verse 18. He says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others for goodwill. Paul says, some people in their preaching, they preach and they're, they're, one of their goals, part of their mission is, they want to add to my prison sentence, add to my bonds, he says. What then? You may not know this. This is the only question that occurs in the book of Philippians. You know what it means? It means, so what? Some preach Christ out of envy and strife. So what? Some preach Christ from goodwill. So what? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Now, watch this. Pretense or truth? He's talking there about motive, not about truth versus error. Be sure you understand that. Paul's not saying there are people out there that are preaching and they're preaching error, and I support it. Paul does not say that. He would not say that. His, he could not say that. The Spirit would not allow him to say that. Paul didn't say that. Paul said their motive is wrong, but Christ has preached. Our text from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 teaches that you don't follow preachers. Those of you who are parents, I hope that you encourage your children to love their preacher. Mine did. You, you can talk all day long in front of other people about how much you love the preacher, but if in the way car ride on the way home you just tear that guy up, your kids are going to hear it and they know what a hypocrite is. But I hope you don't teach them to follow preachers. There is that fine line between we want them to love that guy, but that guy's not God. Steve Lawson said, give us some men who know the truth, who will declare the truth from the housetop that the gospel is the power of God and the salvation. We're looking for someone who will preach the word of God and Preaching is different. I'm sorry. Some of you don't get that, and I, I, I understand that. I'm not saying that it makes us special anyway, but it's different than being a coach or being a mayor or, or being a boss. You know, when you're, the, when you're the mayor and you step out of that office as mayor, you want to be remembered as the best mayor that ever existed. If you're a coach of a basketball team, when, when you step out of that role, you want them to build a statue in your name. 
You want to be the best coach that ever coached at that place. Being a preacher is a little different. Every good preacher wants every other good preacher to succeed. They want the guy that stands in the pulpit after them to be better than they are, to be much better. I learned this when I was a child growing up. My dad was a preacher, and he used to say, I just want my sons to be better preacher than I am. And I used to hear him and think, there's no way that will ever happen. And I still feel that way. But now having sons that preach, I understand what he meant. Keith wants to be remembered as a man who preached the Word of God here. But he hopes the next guy that comes to this place will reach more people than he ever reached. That's different than any other field out there. If you've got a Bible tonight, turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. The three points I'm going to give you came from my friend Jerry Barber. I don't want to take credit for why it's not mine, why it's not mine but I heard him preach these three points back in 1989 in Winfield, Alabama. And I thought that makes as much sense as about anything I've ever heard. And I apply it to a lot of different areas of life. But John 6 is a powerful chapter. John chapter 6 tells us the three stages that every relationship goes through. Every relationship you have, whether it's your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your children, your relationship with your friends, your relationship with the people you work with or who work for you or who you work for, your relationship with your school, your relationship with the church, your relationship with your preacher, your relationship with the elders. Every relationship goes through three stages. The first one is here in John chapter 6. It says, And large crowds were following him because they were watching the signs that he was performing. And in this section of Scripture, he fed the 5,000. Therefore, when the people saw the sign that he had performed, they said, This is truly the prophet who has come into the world Jesus was aware they intended to come and take him by force and make him king. Now get the picture. Jesus fed the 5,000. They hear his stories. They see his miracles. They hear his teaching. And they say, this is the guy. We are serving under the Roman dictator Caesar. We are slaves. This guy has the power. They've seen him cure blind people, heal blind people. They see him take people who couldn't walk and restore their power to walk. They've seen his strength. They've heard his voice. They've heard his ability to communicate. And they say, man, if this guy was our king, we wouldn't be serving under Caesar anymore. He put Caesar in his place. And Jesus perceived, the text says, they were going to come and take him by force and make him king. And herein we see the first relationship, the first stage of a relationship. The honeymoon stage. I used to, to preach this sermon. My wife would be in the audience, and I'd always say the same thing. Nobody ruins a honeymoon. And then she told me that some people do. And that both made me nervous as well as enlightened me a little bit. You can't ruin a honeymoon. But a honeymoon is a place of hope and expectation. It's a place of new beginning it's a place that is exciting and interesting. It's a wonderful time. And you go through in every relationship you have, you go through a honeymoon stage. You start a new job, and those first few days, man, those people are so kind to you and so nice to you. They don't gossip about anybody else. They, if you make a mistake, they're patient with you. You know, preachers go through that with churches. 
I talked to a preacher at a new church. He's only been there a few months. How's it going? Oh, it's wonderful. Man, the people are so good. They're influential and they love each other and, and they're so interested in what I preach and they're just good people. We're going to set the woods on fire at this place. And every time I hear that, I think, honeymoon stage. I run into a member and they've got a new preacher. And I say, hey, you like your new preacher? Oh, man, he's so good. His kids are well behaved. Man, they're so, they're so, they're so wonderful. I mean, his sermons are so refreshing and interesting and it's just great. Man, I love to hear him preach. He's so nice to everybody. And in the back of my mind, I think, yep, honeymoon stage. They went through it with Jesus. They're going to take him by force and make him king. Read on down, starting in verse 41. So then the Jews were complaining about him. And notice a him there's capitalized. It's Jesus. Because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. And they were saying, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? A handful of verses before, Jesus, they're, they're trying to take him by force and make him king, and now they're complaining about him. That's the second stage that every relationship goes through. It's what we call the, the disappointment stage. And every relationship goes through it. And here's the key to, sp to spotting the disappointment stage. It isn't what I expected. You know, they were really nice to me for a while at work, but, but you know, they're kind of hard on me now. They, you know, they actually expect me to show up on time. You know, they, they actually expect me to work till 5 o'clock in the evening every night. I, I don't understand it. Some of those people, that they gossip. I'm just disappointed. Disappointment stage. I see it with preachers. You know, he preaches the same thing over and over again. Surely he's got another sermon. I've heard that story so many times, I'm sick of hearing it. He's got, surely he's got something else to say. And you know, his kids, they're not that good after all. Disappointment. It happens with preachers with churches, believe it or not. Well, you know, they're, some of them are too nice, and some of them don't treat each other right, and some of them, I'm not sure what they believe. And Every time I hear it, I think, disappointment stuff. They went through it with Jesus. They were disappointed in the Lord. And when I hear the honeymoon stage, I think, well, I'm happy they're enjoying it. Probably won't last. And when I hear the disappointment stage, I think, I'm sorry that's happening. But that's not that important. The real important stage is the third stage, John chapter 6. The text says in verse 66, as a result of this, many of the disciples left and would no longer follow him, no longer walk with him. And then Jesus turns to the twelve and he says, you want to leave also, don't you? And Peter says to him, Lord, I don't know where else we'd go. You have the words of eternal life. And we already believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And the third stage, after the honeymoon stage, after the disappointment stage, is the important stage. It's the decision stage. And in this stage, we ask the question not, do I like everything about this person or I dislike this person? In this stage, we say, am I going to stay or not? And what I've learned in life is that most people, when they get to the decision stage, when they decide to stick through the disappointment stage, they're a whole lot happier than the ones who leave. That uh, couple that's married 50 years, they give a big party. They don't give a party for people who've been divorced 50 years. They give a celebration for people who've been married 50 years. 
And you know, you know what they say? Oh, I bet y'all loved each other. I heard about one couple, they having this 50th wedding anniversary, and the granddaughter walked up to her grandma and said, I bet you and grandpa never had a fight. Y'all are so cute. I bet you never had an argument. She said, no, nah, I don't think we argue much. I thought about killing them a few times. <laughs> the decision stage. You're going to have a new preacher. And you've got a decision to make. And what I want you to decide is to love him in spite of the fact that he'll sin. He's going to do some things that he's not proud of, that he wish he hadn't done, that, that, that he will regret that if he had it to do over again, he'd, he'd, he'd rethink it, I would encourage you with him to practice the golden rule. To treat him when he makes a mistake the way you'd want to be treated. We create a false dichotomy sometimes, not purposely, but a guy stands up in front of people and says, if you've got sin in your life, we're going to sing an invitation song, and if you'll come forward, if you're a Christian, God, we'll pray with you, and God will forgive you. And some old brother walks down and he says, I've struggled for years with it. I'm an alcoholic. It's destroyed my family. It's destroyed my life. And I'm sorry for it. And an elder comes up and, and prays and everybody cries and comes up and hugs them. But if the preacher got up and he said, I'm struggling with alcoholism, you'd fire him. You ever thought about that? He is a human. He will commit sins. Practice the golden rule. He'll, he'll have weaknesses. There'll be things that, uh, that he will be strong at and things that he will be weak at. And the book of Galatians says we're to bear each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We're to be forgiving and consider ourselves because we may also be tempted. When he has weaknesses, understand. He's not as good as some things. There's some things, believe it or not, there's some things I'm really good at. But there's some things I'm really bad at. That'll be true of anybody who stands on this stage. Be thankful for the good. Number three, he'll make mistakes. He'll do stupid stuff sometimes. Excuse me for that word, but that's what it is. Just dumb. If he had it to do over, he wouldn't do it over again. I've never thrown grapes at people except that one time. I'll never do it again, I don't think. But he'll, he'll make mistakes. You'll disagree with him. He won't be perfect. He will not be executing the scriptures accurately every time. At some point, if he stands in this pulpit for more than, more than a year, if he stands in this pulpit for five years or ten years, at some point you will disagree with him. If you don't, one of you is not listening well and one of you is perfect. And neither one of those things can be true. So there will be times you'll disagree. How you deal with that disagreement is much more important than the disagreement itself. He will find impossible situations. I, I moved to church one time, and a guy named Lee stopped attending. And one of the elders and I went to see Lee after a few weeks, after he missed a few weeks. And I said to him, Lee, what can we do to make this better? I don't know what's going on. He said, well, you're an Alabama fan, and I'm an Auburn fan. I'm serious, that's what he said. And we can never get along. I will never like you. And he said, on top of that, you're not WT. WT was the previous preacher. He put me in an impossible situation. I couldn't be somebody I wasn't. 
He'll find impossible situations. Situations that exist when he gets here that he won't know how to deal with. He'll find people that will lie about him. There'll be people that will lie about you. I've had people through my life of preaching who at times, I'm not being pitiful tonight, I have no reason to be in front of you, but have said I said things I didn't say. I've checked the tape. It's not on there. I've had people that have told other people things that I've done that I have not done. People lie about them sometimes. That'll happen. He will make money. Guess what? He'll make money. Uh, hopefully he'll make good money. I hope he makes really good money. He'll make money. There's nothing wrong with paying a preacher. In fact, there's something wrong with not paying a preacher. And the text says he's worthy of his hire. So, so he'll make money. Some people don't like it. I, I preached for a church one time, Keith, and you know what they told me? They said, we believe that the preacher here, I was really young, we believe the preacher here should make $1 less than the lowest paid primary breadwinner in the congregation. And that way he can relate to everybody. And I said to those men, they didn't have elders, I said, let's do it this way. Why don't you pay me $1 more than the highest paid man and that way I could relate all the way up. They didn't like that. Didn't work very well. He'll make money. There's really only one question. This is a question. Does he preach the truth in love? Does he preach the truth in love? And you guys coming, he won't be the one prophesied. He's not going to be Jesus. He won't save you from your sins. The question for you is, are you willing? Are you willing to pray for this individual? Well, I don't, I don't like how thin he is. I don't like how, how fat he is. I don't like how long he preaches. I don't like that he says this or doesn't say that. I don't like, that's not the question. Does he preach the truth in love and will you pray for him? Will you encourage him? Will you make intentional investments of encouragement into his life? Will you be his cheerleader, his greatest fan? Will you be a constant source of good works in the congregation? I preached for a church one time that had a previous preacher had been there for over 17 years. And there was a family in that church that did not like him. But for 17 years, that family was involved in every good work of that church. And I was always impressed by that fact. That they didn't base their service to the Lord based upon whether or not they were chums with the preacher or not. Will you be a source of good works? It's his job to not let his job go to his head. It's your job to encourage him. Will you let us speak hard truths into your life? Or are you just willing to let us speak fun truths? Will let them actually teach you something? Or we just want them to reinforce what you already believe? The truth is, the new guy is coming. But a much more important guy than that guy is coming. And this one is Christ. He will come. He said, I will come again. If I go away, John 14, verse 3, I will come again. And the angels, angelic beings said, this same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. He's going to come again. He's going to return. And every eye will see him, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess, and all earth will belong to him. He will descend with a shout of the voice of archangel and the trump of God. A new guy is coming. But in the meantime, God can't wait to see what this place is going to be like. What he's going to be able to do with you as you serve him faithfully. 
Yes, a new guy is coming, and it won't be Jesus. But Jesus is coming, and when he comes, you better be ready. So tonight, if you're not a Christian, you need to be prepared for the new guy, Jesus Christ, who's going to return. And we don't know when. could be this day. could be many years from now. But he's going to come, and you need to be ready. Will you turn to him, confess that you believe he's God's son, repent of your sins that's held you captive for too long, and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And tonight, if you're his child and you've left him and aren't walking with him, if we can help you in any way, will you come as we stand and sing?